Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior. Amen. Friends, did you notice how Easter begins in the dark? While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. The darkness does not describe the the time of day, but also describes her heart. She's grieving as she goes to a cemetery. She believes the story of Jesus has finished. It is done, and she goes to pay her last respects. We can identify what Mary is experiencing, for we too have been living our experience of grief and loss. Who of us has not seen pictures of those places that once were full of people and now are empty? Times Square, empty. Baseball parks, empty. Freeways, empty. A month ago, the sanctuary was full, now empty. Psychologists point out that there are many ways we are experiencing grief and loss. Some loss is visible and dramatic. Other loss is more deeply felt, like the separation at a time of illness where we're not able to go and be with that person to do that one thing that we most want to do, to comfort, to console, to be present. We also experience loss that can be ambivalent and uncertain. For when will the economy start up again? When will we return to what is familiar? Maybe going to the gym or shopping or just simply gathering with friends for a coffee. We make our way through life, we adapt, but we also say it is hard. And I have to confess, there are times it feels like I'm learning to ride a bike all over again and the ride is wobbly. Jesus is resurrected. The resurrection has happened. Yet it takes time for Mary to realize this. We find that Mary first must wrestle with old ways of thinking, wrestle with responses to the resurrection which prevent her from seeing the truth of Easter for her. Mary discovers the stone is rolled away. Three times we hear her ask, where is the body? Take me to the body. Something is not right. Karl Barth once wrote of Easter that we experience true truths that are hard to bring together today. The first truth is this, that God made the world and the world is governed by certain rules, laws of physics and biology, the seasons of birth and decay. And while that predicts of the universe is necessary, helpful even, it is also closed and fixed and determined. And according to these rules of nature, it makes sense for Mary to grieve and look for a body. But Easter, Easter also marks a second truth, for on Easter God breaks the rules. Into a closed system of death and decay, God introduces a claim of new life. Into a self-contained moral order of might and power, God introduces a new order of mercy and grace. But it is not easy to see how the new world of Easter fits into our old world of decay. Mary 
goes to Peter and announces that the tomb is empty. But she interprets that emptiness in old ways, talking about a body as if she found the body, she could somehow manage her grief, control the situation, and then get on with life. Peter and the other disciple run to the tomb. They see the emptiness. They see the linen cloth lying there to the side. Something has happened. There's even the hint of belief. But then John says, they go home. They did not understand the scripture, John writes, they must, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples return to their homes, for they too cannot grasp what is new. They go home seemingly done with Easter. And what about us? Perhaps we listen to the Easter story this morning. We are even stirred, but then we ask, how do I fit Easter into a world of coronavirus? How can God do a new thing when so much of life seems captive to a global shutdown? Tomorrow is Monday. I have to get on with my life. And so like Peter, perhaps the danger is that I too will be done with Easter. Dear friends, this is the central message for us today that Easter is not the end, that we cannot be done with Easter But the resurrection of Jesus, God offers something new. It is the beginning of faith, a beginning of a new hope, of a new way of seeing, of a new life, of a new experience of God. We follow Mary as she comes to a new understanding. She returns to the tomb, overwhelmed by her grief and what is old. He appears, but she does not at first recognize him. He asks Whom are you looking for? It seems a simple question, but it is a question that points to a deeper hunger. Is Mary just looking for a body, or is she looking for something more, a deeper truth, a new hope, something that is out of her grasp at the moment? It has been observed that Jesus asks 373 questions in the Gospels. He's always asking questions, questions like, what do you want, or what are you looking for, or do you want to be healed? But then note this, for all those questions, Jesus answers only three. We often say that Jesus is the answer to our questions, but what if Jesus is also the deeper question to our simplistic answers? What if Jesus is an invitation to a deeper spiritual meaning? On sabbatical, I went on a silent retreat for eight days, and as I began that retreat, I met with my director, and the first story that uh, we engaged in was the story of blind Bartimaeus. And when Jesus meets up with blind Bartimaeus, he asks him, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. But what's interesting in that story is uh, it talks about how Jesus gives Bartimaeus sight and then the first thing that Bartimaeus does is that he sees Jesus and begins to follow in the way. I realized that for myself as I began that retreat, the question was also my question, what do I want? What do I want to see? It was an invitation into a deeper searching and wondering that was not simply done in the moment but lasted that whole time. Jesus asked Mary, what are you looking for? In other words, Mary, are you trying to fit the resurrection into your old way of seeing your old grief, only looking for a body? 
Or will this moment mark something new for you, Mary? That change of perspective, the change of faith and life for Mary happens in a simple word, Mary. Finally, in hearing her name, Mary sees the deeper truth that Jesus lives for her. Earlier in the gospel, we hear the promise that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he knows his own and his own know him. And they hear their name called and they follow him. I've thought about it this way. You know, it's one thing to read an essay about love or to know it in general terms, but it is another thing for the beloved to say to you, I love you. Knowing love, those things that are most important, happen only in a personal way. It's one thing to believe that there is a God, another thing to believe that God is for me, one thing to hear that Jesus is risen, another to know that he is risen for me. For that is what happens on Easter. Everything changes when Mary realizes that Jesus is raised for her. Baptism and communion are important because they have this power to make the gospel personal, to make Easter personal. For God's word is joined to something that we feel and sense and taste and touch, and the promise becomes personal. God's grace is for me. The resurrection life of Christ is for me. That's why we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Easter is for me. At first, Mary struggles with this Easter news. Jesus says, Mary, and she turns and grabs on to him. And then Jesus responds, stop holding on to me. Now think about what holding on means. Mary holds on to Jesus as if somehow she could go back to the shores of Galilee, that she has her old Jesus back, that nothing really has changed. She can pick up life where she left off before. But that's not the case. For the risen Christ is different. New life in Christ is different. And she can't hold on. We cannot hold on as if nothing has changed. But rather, Jesus sends her forward. He tells her to go tell the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. For Easter is the beginning of something new for Mary. Mary and the disciples will now have to live this Easter faith forward into the future. And how does one live Easter forward into the future? How does Easter become a new beginning of sight and life for us as well? In our first reading from Colossians, the writer describes what it means for Easter to mean new life. Paul writes, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. When Mary grabbed hold of Jesus, she was going to fit the risen Jesus into her old world. Her mind was set on the things of earth. And Jesus said, no, it's really the other way around. You begin with Easter. You set your mind on the risen Christ and you let the hope and the promise of the resurrection now shape how you see and how you live forward in this life. Friends, when we seek the things that are above, it does not mean that we ignore the realities of this life or pretend that they don't matter but rather in whatever circumstance we see our life now in terms of God's new life in Jesus. We see life 
in terms of the hope that we have in the risen Christ. Friends, every promise has its beginning in Easter It's hope, it's grounding, it's surety in Easter. For because Jesus lives, we know that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Because Jesus lives, things like the fruit of the Spirit, faith, hope, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, they can have a fresh place in our hearts. And we can live and act in the confidence that these things of God will endure and have permanence in this world. Because Jesus lives. Even when we face the old realities of a pandemic, we do so now with new insight. For God has made us children of God. Because Jesus lives, we are not bereft, for Jesus goes with us. Because Jesus lives, Easter is not the end, for Easter is the beginning of our life and our faith. And when we rise tomorrow, we will wake in the confidence of God's grace and mercy that we can begin each and every day fixing our eyes on the promise of God and the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus lives, we shall live also Because Jesus lives, it is a brand new day. Happy Easter. Amen.